0: Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Reya. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues.
1: This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Reya. It's business, but it's personal. In
0: color. Welcome to the brand new season of Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musician shaping jazz soul and blues. My guest today, kicking off the series in typically pioneering change-making style, is Sarah Turner, co-founder of Angel Academy, an angel investment network supporting female-founded tech businesses and introducing more women to angel investing. Despite 20 years' experience connecting technology startups with investors and partners, Sarah had never considered becoming an investor herself. As she says, I met a lot of angel investors and they were always men. Noticing these networks had a lack of dialogue with and openness toward female founders sparked an epiphany. And Sarah launched Angel Academy in 2014 with her business partner and now husband, Simon Hopkins, aiming to tackle the gender disparity. Angel Academy's network, 70% women, including entrepreneurs and senior leaders, have now backed over 45 ambitious, highly scalable tech startups, helping them raise over £100 million. And vitally, they're creating more diverse environments for the benefit of all. It's lovely to have you here. Welcome to the very first programme.
2: Thank you so much for having me. That's
0: brilliant. Tell me, cast your mind back, 2014. People talk about epiphanies and they say, I just had to do it. If you can remember how it felt at that moment, because we'll go into your your history, as it were, and how you got to that point. But why then? Why did the penny drop? What made you actually become a founder yourself?
2: Good question. Right. I mean, I, I had worked in technology. I'd been working with startups for a long time. I went to lots of pitch events. The, the scene was getting quite busy again after a bit of a long slump after the dot-com crash and everything. But the, the scene was really hotting up again. Technology was very exciting. There was a lot more money going into the market. But these pitch events, I started taking pictures and it was just a sea of men, men pitching to an audience full of men. And you might, you know, if it was a big room, you might see a couple of women around the edge and, you know they were often the event organizers not the actual investors and i i had made an angel investment at that stage into a friend's business as quite often happens i'm sure you know that and it kind of made me realize the penny drop that you know he was just raising 10 20 30000 pounds from a bunch of his friends and customers and it was like oh actually you know it's a meaningful amount of money but it's not skyrocket amounts, it's not Dragon's Den, is it? And it kind of like made me think, oh, this is interesting. Actually I can participate at that level. I was, you know, at a point in my career and my life where my finances felt secure and there was some wiggle rooms, some mm. room to do some interesting stuff with. So I started joining Angel Networks because although I thought I had good instincts about people and technologies that might win. There's a whole bunch of stuff around investment that I didn't really No, I wasn't a finance person. So what are the questions? So I went to these networks, hoping to learn and collaborate with other people. And that wasn't really what happened. There'd be a nice, buzzy event. And then you were basically left to negotiate on your own with this poor entrepreneur. (laughs) And I was just kind of a bit self-conscious about it because I was very conscious of their time. You know, they want to be speaking to genuine investors, not people who are feeling their way around and just kind of very conscious of what I didn't know. And I was just looking for that thing. How can I have a group around me of people who, you know, want people like them to invest alongside? So that was where the penny had dropped. I'd run my own businesses before, but they were consultancy businesses. And this is a different mm. ball game when you, you run something that's kind of, I suppose it's a product, you're not selling a, a service. So... It did feel like a proper step into entrepreneurship from just being self-employed, I suppose.
0: I mean, it's a network product, isn't it? Essentially, Mm. you're bringing people together, as you said, and then the product is, and here are some possible opportunities for you to go and invest in. Was there any sense of, obviously, it's a a female founder-led proposition. So from your point of view, was there massive inequity? You talked about men in the room. But at that point, because I don't want to talk about now and then the future, Was it obvious that women were getting a really bad deal? Was the treatment of women in these situations just palpably different?
2: There definitely was a sense of that. You know, they were talking to these all-male audiences. Even if the audiences were young, it was quite an alpha male environment. It's very networked. Everyone knows each other. Deals get passed around between each other. And I did feel I could see that female founders came to present, they're at an immediate disadvantage. There is nobody who looked like them in the in the audience. And, you know, it's not because they're unconfident. These are kind of, I think, natural instinctive things. So even the confident ones. And then it just felt that on the investor side there is this immediate credibility gap. What is this woman doing standing up there talking about software? You know, we all know software is you think Mark Zuckerberg, don't you? You think the Google founders. You think Bill Gates, you don't think a relatively young woman. And there's still quite a lot of that, I think. There's some very good research showing that there's a credibility gap for women playing in male dominated environments. But strangely, the reverse doesn't happen. When you have a male founder running a business that's targeted at women, actually, they don't suffer from that disadvantage. When you set this business up
0: back in 2014, Part of this to me looks like you were doing something to address a societal issue as much as a financial and an entrepreneurs issue. And I'm trying to work out whether at that time you were going, I'm going to make loads of money doing this, or this is just the right thing to do. And I'm compelled. How much of the commercial side had you looked at and gone, this is a viable business? Or was it much more about that that issue of hold on a minute?
2: (laughs) I didn't write business plans. I kind of Dive straight in. I was confident about my instincts. I thought I could kind of make a business that would wash its face. It's never been about building a huge business. It's not about making (laughs) me rich personally through Angel Academy, but it's about hopefully helping some of these founders succeed and making them rich because they're the next generation of angel investors, but also giving women who are risking their hard-earned money as angel investors, mm. hopefully helping them get a decent return as well. So I'm hoping to make my money back on my investments rather than Angel on Academy the... itself. Although, you know, I want the business to do well because that's yeah. a sign that we're we're fixing a real societal need. And uh... but,
0: but that was my sense because the, I'm not saying you're like a, you know, 1 million percent altruistic, but if I look back at what you do and what you've done, there's always been quite a public-spirited element whether you were the digital specialist at the Department of UK Trade and and Investment, or whether you've been a board member in various industry bodies, those things take time and they're not for immediate return. They're about changing things. So the changing things bit, to me, is interesting. And where do you think that's come from? no,
2: No, that's really, I've always wanted to change things. I think I was a terrible employee when I was working for other people because I could always want to, I could see how this could be better. Can and why we do though? This? Where's that
0: from? Why, and When did it start? I,
2: I don't know. Maybe there was this sort of frustrated entrepreneur in me, kind of that didn't emerge until a bit later on. But I've always been whatever, you know, started off as most people doing some really crappy jobs, but I was always very motivated to do my best and, you know, be nice to people and people kind of admiring what you did has been a A huge driver, I suppose. Mm. sounds a bit needy.
0: No, not at all. Is that parental influence? Is that friends? Where do you think, if you look back?
2: I think that is is friends. But I think it's, you know, it is common to a lot of people. and, And, you know, listening to other founders and entrepreneurs speak, they always find time to do other stuff on top of their business. And people are want to give back as well. So, Some you do, know, Sarah. I, wanted... I mean,
0: you're nice. Not everybody wants OK, to. not everyone,
2: but a lot of people. I'm not yeah. unique no. in, in in that. And, yeah, you know, where I see unfairness, I do want to make a difference. And in this particular area, I thought I was in a really good position to make a difference as well, because I had networks, I had a bit of money that I could angel invest. I think if you're encouraging other people to do that with their own money, you've got to do it alongside i don't believe in kind of encouraging other people to take risks that you're not prepared to yeah
0: skin in the game is important to take.
2: it's absolutely vital and for credibility as well
0: and in terms of the other credibility obviously once you're a founder you have more credibility with other founders and they see that you've gone and actually created something given birth to the business in terms of the barriers to entry for you then or anything else you've ever done How do you address those? How do you continue to address them? And I mean all sorts of barriers, whether it's attitudinal barriers or whether it's practical barriers. How does Sarah Turner get through those?
2: Well, you've got, you know, (laughs) barriers are part of life, aren't they? And kind of finding a way through them, over them, round them or whatever. And I think, you know, you've just got to keep pushing if you believe in what you're doing. I mean, the other thing I think is just about being... So Nicholas Taleb, you know, the author of Black Swans, wrote a book called Anti-Fragile. And I think that encapsulates it for me. It's Everyone talks about resilience, but it's more than resilience because resilience suggests that you bounce back to where you were before. But Anti-Fragile might mean that you have to change direction completely. You have to pivot. You have to do things. And, the you know, the best founders are able to do that. So you find ways round, but it might mean actually making really big changes and dramatic changes in your own life or business or career or, or whatever.
0: And honestly, so, for you, obviously, that's a great philosophy and I totally, Captain, I concur. But is is that easy for you to do or is that something that you know?
2: No, no, no. I kind of, you know, I resist the world changing around me and fight it. and But, you know, there comes a point where you just have to face it. And, like, the world's changed. This isn't going to work anymore. We're going to do this now. It's a fact of life, isn't it?
0: There's a thought for Saturday morning or whenever you might be listening to this. Sarah Turner's my business shaper, and you've just got to confront it and get on with it and address it. She'll be back very soon. In fact, in a couple of minutes. But right now we're going to hear a clip from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Tom Grogan of MDR XTech fame talks about Web 3.0, the next iteration of the internet, and what businesses and individuals need to be thinking about when formulating their strategies and pursuing valuable, impactful projects.
1: The Mishkan Academy Digital Sessions Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. How should a business assess how urgently they should consider the impact of Web3 on their business? I think
3: responsible businesses should certainly be thinking about it and engaging with it. And and for us, it always comes down to the why. If you or or parts of your business are doing things and you're not sure why, please stop. Please stop doing random things. And if your reason for launching an NFT is to appear innovative, you're like three years too late. So please always return to the why what are we as an organization today what would we like to be as an organization in 10 years and then figure out how if at all web3 forms a part of that the other big recommendation we make is to make sure that whatever you do make sure that it is inching you organisationally further towards that target end state goal we always use disney as a bit of a pinup example of of how to do this really really well they dipped their toe in the water into Web3, launched their Golden Moments collection, which was a series of relatively simple NFTs that were little gold statuettes of famous Disney characters in iconic moments. And that was interesting and valuable, and some people bought it and some people didn't. But importantly, they used it as an internal organizational learning tool that empowered them to know as an organization what it meant to do Web3 they since have have massively expanded their operations they refer to the metaverse and it's the lovely turn of phrase that's the next
1: great frontier of storytelling the mishcon academy digital sessions to access advice for businesses that is regularly updated please visit mishcon.com jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mishcondorea it's business but it's personal
0: You can enjoy all our former business shapers. There's many years of them, I'm reliably informed. I think back to 2010 or something crazy, even before the the wheel was invented. And you can find them on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And indeed, you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice, whatever that is. But back to today, the main event, it's Sarah Turner, first up for 2023, co-founder of Angel Academy and Angel Investment Network, supporting female-founded tech businesses and introducing more women to angel investing. Covid happened to everybody. We're sort of, quote unquote, coming through it. It feels like um, there are less masks and full respect for people that want to wear masks. I quickly add, if you don't, that's fine too. For you though, did it level the playing field? Because depending on who you read and what they think, it it kind of either exacerbated the situation. Is it related to equality uh, with regard to gender or regard to wealth or it ameliorated it? And I'm interested to see what happened in your world.
2: Well, I, I think it's a bit of both. I don't think there's a straight answer to that. It just depends on your individual circumstances, your business. We were able to pivot. It was one of these seismic shocks that's talking about. We were able to pivot quite easily to become an online organisation. And it was quite dramatic because prior to lockdowns, you know, everyone said you can't invest in a founder unless you're staring at the whites of their eyes. And actually that proved not to be correct. And once people adjusted to the new reality, investment surged for the next year, 18 months or so. And, you know, we suddenly rode that wave. Things that I noticed in my network, primarily women, whether they're founders or investors, is that suddenly they had a whole lot more domestic responsibilities. So they were homeschooling their kids, maybe their Husband was working at home as well. So just, you know, getting that piece you need to get on with your own work was massively disrupted. And we had people whose kids had left home but came back for lockdown and then came back with their boyfriend or girlfriend as well. So suddenly, you know, mum was feeding a family, cooking and cleaning for a family again mm-hmm. and um, just when they thought they had some time to themselves. So I think it did hurt... Women in some additional ways, but you know, I think what's special about founders and you know, just referencing our earlier conversation is they have to find a way through this, and we're looking for founders that have got that support network. So most of the businesses in our portfolio, they've they've got kids. Most of the the women have got kids. Most of the investors have got kids, but they've got these good support structures at home, which buys them a bit of time to build their businesses. They've got plans in place so that they can deal with the domestic crises that emerge. And also they've got teams around them in their business that can take some of the load as well. That's really important as well, isn't it? And
0: and just turning that on, it's just briefly what I'm thinking about, turning that mirror towards you now. Because in your business, your partner is now your husband – you have support networks. How does that all work for you as you went through the COVID hard, the very you know early stages and then the middle and now hopefully we're looking behind it? What was that like for you and how did you cope?
2: Yeah, so Simon and I have been together for, I think it's 21 years now, so it's quite a solid... It's quite an and, established partnership. And it's an established partnership. We'd worked together previously, so it wasn't this crazy plan that we hatched up as a, a married couple. And actually his role initially, it was mainly me and then he he would be a very supporting partner back. No, I mean he's my number one supporter, my number one confidant. There's nobody I trust more in the world than him and and vice versa. And I think that's so important in a mm. in a partner, isn't it? And that's not to say that, you know, we don't invest in people who are single, but, you know, they might not have a, a husband or a partner right now. But they will have other people in their lives that can provide that support. I think we focus very heavily on founders, but these are team sports, aren't they? These businesses, you can't do it all on, well, you might start off doing it all on your own, but if you're going to grow, you're going to need help, aren't you?
0: Absolutely. And the only thing I, I question, I guess, around being you know, married to your business partner is that it's really important you have healthy abilities and mechanisms to manage conflict. How does that work for you too? If there is any conflict, it looks like she's thinking, I don't never argue with
2: Simon. He just does what he's told, doesn't he? <laughs> um, uh, you know, conflict is inevitable, isn't it? It's not nice. It's not something we seek. But you have got to kind of, you know, there are things that we disagree on, and you've just got to talk it out, haven't you? And come to come to a conclusion. I mean, it's the same with a business partner, and I think. It's being very... But there's more
0: emotion, Sarah, isn't there? Because there's more, there's more in that relationship than, than simply business.
2: Well, I think we're very clear about our roles in the business. So it's important to have that defined and who's the ultimate decision maker in that area of the business. You know, you fundamentally have to respect that person, don't you? So even if you don't agree with their decision... You have to live with it. And then you have to say, actually, you were right when it turns out to be the right. So, you know, you've got to be gracious and a big person. It's not about egos. It's about making something work, isn't it, for the benefit of of everybody.
0: Indeed. The question I, I have now is around the role of an investor and an advisor versus the role of an executive in the business. Now, you're both. You run your own business and you invest in others. Where are you at your happiest, firstly? And then the second question is, what's the difference fundamentally between being slightly removed but having skin in the game and actually running the
2: thing? Oh, it's massive. I mean, we don't invest in businesses to tell them how to run their business. We invest in businesses because we believe that founding team are the right people to build this business. So... Our job is to stand back and be available to support them as and when they need it. But basically, it you know, it's their job. We've got experience, we've got contacts, we've got things that we can share with them. But it's up to them to execute. So, And you
0: like having that role? Because often, you know, I, I'm a non-exec on a couple of boards. And mm. on the one hand, I really like being able to help. And on the other hand, I'm frustrated that I'm not helping enough or I'm not sort of directing things there's this contradiction it depends do you have the same feeling as an investor sometimes
2: um I mean actually I I I really like it you've got none of the responsibility but all the all the fun haven't you you get to kind of go on the journey with them the ups and downs but without you know (laughs) without the heavy lifting behind it so it's really nice and it's just so intellectually stimulating it's other people who are changing things, isn't it? I mean, we keep hearing how there's this massive productivity issue in this country and the businesses that we're investing in that are bringing, developing new technologies are are the key to kind of improving productivity but also creating good, good jobs for the future, for our kids and future generations.
0: Do you need to train or do people ask for training in terms of how do I be a good angel investor? And is that something you offer?
2: I, I think one of the most joyous things I would say is just the calibre of people who've come forward to do this. Amazing people. And these are amazing women who are just super confident in their own domains. But even if they built their own business, they may never have raised angel investment. They probably didn't. Or, you know, we've got a few women that raise money from private equity or sold to private equity, but never... Did any So this whole world is unfamiliar to them. And it's, you know, it's finance. There are some things that you do need to know. It's about building your instincts. It's experience. It's learning by doing. Mm. So, you know, we provide lots and lots of education just to help people build their confidence. But the main thing is putting people together so that they learn from each other because everyone brings something to the party from their... From their day job, from their previous experience. We've got some really, really experienced investors in the group now. So the people who haven't done it before can can learn from them. You can ask all the questions, all the you know, and you can if you're not a finance person, you can lean on somebody who has got a finance background to do that bit of due diligence. Or if technology isn't where you're from, you can speak to somebody who
0: mm. who
2: knows about tech. So
0: So now this metaphorical room which you went into before two thousand fourteen, which was full of alpha men. Now you have a different panorama, a different vista in front of you. Is there a fundamental difference in the way that a woman approaches an investment opportunity to a man, or is it simply down to the individual? A genuine question around whether there's a real gender yeah, difference. Like, I, you know, the, the whole cliches around men are more arrogant, women are more humble and all that.
2: I think there is. Obviously, it's these huge generalisations, and, you, you know, you have alpha women like you have alpha men, and you have some incredibly modest, respectful men And those are the ones that tend to turn up in our group because they don't think they know it all already. There's stuff to learn. But I do think that there are some behaviour differences between men and women. and, And lots of clever female founders have managed to adopt those kind of male traits. But it's this talking with absolute assurance, being very comfortable about painting this really, really ambitious future and truly believing that. I think... There's some other interesting research and it was looking at male founded versus female founded businesses and asking them first to talk about how their business was going. And, you know, women were very grounded about it and men were saying, Oh, it's great, everything's fantastic. And then they looked at the actual business performance and the female businesses were on the whole doing better than the male businesses. So, you know, that kind of the fake it till you make it thing, I think is just less natural to most women and it's what makes me like working with female entrepreneurs they are ambitious they are confident but there's just a little bit less blag
0: stay with me for my final chat with my guest sarah turner and we've got some ezra collective for you that's in just a moment don't go anywhere
1: jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mishkondorea it's business but it's personal.
0: Sarah Turner's my business shaper here on number one of 2023, just for a few more minutes. I asked you earlier, I was said I was going to ask you about, do we still need to have something which is a network of angel investors dedicated to women rather than men? So my question is, Sarah, do we?
2: So I'd love to get to a point where we don't have to talk about gender. I really would. But I think, you know, we have got to accept we've got a fundamental Structural imbalance. Atomico, very well respected European VC, does an annual report and yet again the number they came up with was that the amount of venture money that went to female founders was only two percent of the total invested this year and you know from where I sit where I see amazing brilliant female founders that isn't right.
0: And how are we going to change that? How are you Precipitating the change, where is it going to come from? We talk about allyship, we talk about industrial strategy, we talk about all sorts of things, Sarah, and yet, and I remember having Debbie Wasco on the program a few years ago, and it was pretty much the same stat. And it, it kind of makes me think about electric cars and the infrastructure and people say, Oh no, we're gonna take another fifteen years to get, you know, three percent of the country covered. At what point will two percent be twenty percent, be forty percent, be fifty percent? Where do you think this is gonna go and how can we accelerate that pace of change?
2: So the, you know, the insight I had in 2014 was it was about changing investors and the gender makeup of the investor community. And, you know, not saying that men couldn't invest in female founders. I'd love it if they did it more often. But actually, you know, if we had more women investing, it would change the conversation and level the playing field somewhat. but. The research that we've done since then, and other people's research, is that you look at where women are putting their money in this early stage investment market, and they're twice as likely to back female founders as male investors are. So, you know, <laughs> we were onto something back then based on a hunch, but it's borne out to be true. I'm just
0: thinking about other other things that may happen, and I'm just thinking about the 30% club and the number of, you know, almost I think legislation mandated a number of women on boards and that's really moved the needle. Do you think it needs to come to that? Where we actually say this is what you have to do when you raise finance or is that just too nanny statish?
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not convinced by quotas. They have their place, they have their uses and that the dramatic improvement in the number of women in board. But, you know, what it says to me is that there are these incredibly successful wealthy women out there we've never had so many women with the financial capacity to invest so how do we mobilize them or some of them to do something interesting and fun and useful with a small proportion of that money that they've worked so so hard to build up
0: well look you're going to keep going yes you know absolutely. where you know where you want to I've take got this the bit
2: between my Teeth. It isn't easy, but you know, we will get there. It's
0: been great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Just before I let you disappear to go and raise more money (laughs) and make this change that needs to happen, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it?
2: So, I Wish I Didn't Miss You by Angie Stone. She's one of my favourite soul recording artists. I've had the pleasure of seeing her a couple of times performing here in London. It's an amazing song and she's an amazing
0: woman. Angie Stone with Wish I Didn't Miss You, the song choice of my first business shaper of the year here in 2023, Sarah Turner. She talked about being anti-fragile. You've got to be prepared to ditch what you're doing and do something different in the interest of moving forward. She talked about having clear roles in her partnership with her husband, her business partner, and how as long as you're clear on those, then conflict is managed in a healthy way. And she said, I like changing things. And she's been changing things for the last eight or nine years. And there's still more change to come. Positively moving the amount of money invested in female founded businesses from 2% up to 50 as fast as possible. I'm sure she'll do it. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend.
1: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Mishkondorea. It's business.